we're officially a, a Ruby on Rails shop. That's sort of where the Gobble code bases started, which is totally fine by me because I love Ruby and I'm still very as happy with Rails now as you know back in late mid-ish 2000s when I started playing around with Rails. Welcome to Building for the Next Billion, the podcast that discusses the most prominent trends in software development with leading technologists from around the globe. I'm your host, Justin Byrne. We're coming at you from our podcast studio here in Andela's New York City headquarters. If you're not familiar with Andela, we build high-performing engineering teams with the most talented developers from tech hubs across Africa. Now, let's get to today's show. In this episode, I'm joined by Chris Woodford, head of engineering at Gobble. Gobble is kind of a blue apron competitor that provides customers dinner kits for creating awesome meals in one pan in 10 minutes or less. They take care of all the prep, they chop the onions, so it just adds extreme convenience to meal preparation. Chris leads their very small but very mighty engineering team, which is focused on turning years and years of food preference data into delicious dinners for all to enjoy through complex algorithms and artificial intelligence. He also used to play in a hardcore metal band called Titan that may or may not be getting back together for a reunion tour. Just gotta stay tuned to find out. Hey Chris, thanks so much for joining the show. How you doing today? Pretty good. How's it going? You know, it's going going well, going well for sure. All right, before we hop into the technical stuff, I've got to know, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are the head of engineering at Gobble. So how much of your personal diet consists of Gobble meals? And is it, and is it really as easy as you guys advertise? Well, uh, I am on the three meals, I like three dinner kits per week. So that feeds uh, me, my wife, and our daughter. Honestly, having since having a toddler in the house, Gobble makes all the difference. Like to be able to have that meal on the table in ten to fifteen minutes versus you know when there's a, a little kid tugging at your pants and you know she wants to see what's going on. Just having it all there for me makes my life so easy. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And so it's just a one pan type situation, ten to fifteen minutes, and you're ready to rock. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And what are your what are some of your uh, your favorite meals from there? Oh, anything that includes our macaroni and cheese is a mm-hmm. big favorite of mine. It comes up in a few different uh, dinners. I know from from my wife, she loves a lot of the salmon ones. There's one that's uh, it's like a Brussels sprout and potato hash with uh, caraway crusted salmon and uh, uh, like a yogurt type sauce on the side. That's that's big in our house and any I mean always the there's all the steak dishes are always the biggest sellers like filet mignon comes on the menu quite often and sells out really quickly. Man, do you guys have to pay any more for filet mignon or does that just get uh, just get rotoed through with all the different meal options? Yeah, it's all the same price. You're paying uh, 11.95 per person. Everything comes in twos, so it's 23.90 for one dinner kit for two people, whether you're getting filet mignon or you're getting, you know, uh, black pepper tofu with rice and vegetables. Awesome. And have you ever gotten one, a meal kit where you're just like, man, I'm not eating this. This is just not good. No, <laughs> luckily not. Um, we do a lot of tasting in house. So the, the chefs will prepare some of their new ideas and we'll get to taste it in advance and give them our like internal feedback. So we QA anything that uh, doesn't meet the mark before it ever gets to our customers. Uh, that's pretty fun. All right. Now, now personally, this might seem annoying to some listeners, maybe even yourself. I'm a vegan. Sorry about it. But do you guys have options that cater to uh, specific situations like that? We definitely do. Um, I mean, I was vegetarian for 17 years. Oh, there you go. I think vegan for four or five of them. Huh. 
So I've, I've done my time in there and I'm a very vocal proponent of what we are putting on the menu. There's every week, there's three guaranteed vegetarian options. That is 100% on every menu. Some of them are vegan, but we, we don't guarantee necessarily that there would be any particular number of vegan ones on the menu, unfortunately. Oh, very cool. Well, that's nice. I'm glad you guys at least offer those those types of options. So how long have you been with Gobble? And my understanding is that, you know, in the early days, you weren't just building out the software and your internal tools. You were kind of taking on a couple maybe different tasks that weren't necessarily in your job description. <laughs> well, uh, maybe not what I was hired for, but I guess uh, my job description kind of uh, consume them eventually. Um, so I joined in 2014, uh, the beginning of 2014. Gobble was still doing pre-made meals at that time that we were delivering. We had like a fleet of drivers who would actually take and deliver pre-made meals to our customers. So we launched the dinner kits in August of 2014, and that was when things really started to take off, not only for Gobble, but for me and in terms of talking about my job description. I guess once we launched the dinner kits, I was still our only customer service rep. So I was answering emails. Uh, our CEO, Ushma, was taking all the phone calls. So we were doing that at the same time as I was building out this new uh, system that we would use to offer uh, people to purchase these new dinner kits, this crazy idea that we came out with. It seemed crazy at the time. Um, from there, as we started to scale a little bit, I got involved in the operations and fulfillment. So I was running our uh, fulfillment warehouse for about three or four months, just getting it all set up before handing that off to a really great hire who came in and took us like that whole rest of the way to where we are now. Man, that's phenomenal. So obviously you've gotten your hands in all the different aspects of the business. So has that helped you kind of understand the programs that you're writing now and kind of the uh, software development side of things just because you have been able to touch so many different aspects of it? Absolutely. Like I can't describe how amazing of an experience that has been. Like it's so good to be able to prioritize what you're working on when you're solving your own problems. So anytime I saw a ticket come through from a customer with a complaint, if it came through two times and I had to do something like myself each time to fix it, I would just go on the code and solve whatever problem they were having. Uh, so anything that like got on my nerves from customers uh, complaining about it instantly got fixed. So that short feedback loop was really awesome. And that sort of fueled my vision for like the tech side of the company. It really has come from learning from our customers and being so close to them. And then even on the operation side, like now when we look to optimize the process, you know, how can we improve our uh, assembly line? How can we improve our logistics? I go back to the headspace I was in at the time and I think about, you know, what was, what was the biggest blocker to getting stuff done or what were the slow things that we were doing? And I can, now I'm working on the tools to improve those processes. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting and I'm, I'm really happy I had those experiences. So how long ago did you guys launch those meal kits? That was August 2014. So you guys have been mining customer data for, for quite some time. So what do you guys do with that data and how does that then translate to the meal kits that you're providing to your customers and how does that optimize the customization that you're able to give to them? Well, we call the process palette mapping. Basically, we have about 100 different data points that we're paying attention to. And all of that information comes from how much did we sell, 
how much like how many customers reviewed the dish and how well or not that they've reviewed it so if we look at a something like as as minor or you might think as minor as black beans and we can say like how many of our how many of our dishes uh, that we can serve have black beans in them and we can take a look at how well dishes with black beans do against dishes without black beans and how you know dishes with black beans do against each other and then think about extrapolating that to you know hundreds and hundreds of different ingredients it's pretty there's a lot that you can take from that if you're paying attention to the right cues. So then now that we have this information about black beans, we know we can merge that with information we have about other things and kind of come up with ways to pair dishes together and pair ingredients together that you know optimizes the number of people that are going to like it. So in a lot of ways, we have all these crazy rules that we use for putting our menus together I won't say too much about them, but there are certain ingredients that, you know, we've learned that our customers tend not to like, and it's kind of weird, but mushrooms is one of them. So you'll never see too many dishes with mushrooms on any given menu. That's interesting because I love mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like mushrooms too, but it's, it's, it's crazy if we've, especially, so mushrooms show up the most in the vegetarian dishes and cause we offer three vegetarian dishes every week, we've made the mistake of putting two mushroom dishes, uh, two vegetarian mushroom dishes on one menu, and then we see a significant decrease in the sales uh, for those dinner kits in that week. And it's because people are saying like, ugh, too many mushrooms. Oh man, that's super interesting. What about, what is, I guess, do you have any data on like the least favorite ingredient of all time? Uh, so I think I'd say that mushrooms are the most divisive ingredient. Like you either love them or you hate them. And it kind of, uh, most of, not, I won't say most, but a lot of our customer base hates mushrooms. So uh, there are some other ones on there, you know, beets can, you know, really make or break a menu depending on, you know, what they're paired with. Olives are another one that, you know, people might stay away from. Man, that's awesome. That's a, your your customer base needs to branch out a little bit. I I personally <laughs> love all those ingredients, especially beets. Beets are so good. Oh, yeah, and we have like a we have a beet ravioli that is just Oof. awesome. What uh, about anything on ter- in terms of the most uh, or the most popular ingredient? Do you guys have any data on that? Probably like cheese or something easy. Yeah, I mean it's always steak. Um, mm, the yeah. like we put a steak on the menu and it it will sell out. There's even even when it's paired with ingredients that people might not like, like blue cheese is another one that you either love it or you hate it, but you put a steak on the menu with blue cheese on it and nobody cares. Everyone loves it. Interesting. And how, how instrumental were you in the process of, you know, mining that consumer data, figuring out what to do with it, and then implementing that data into the different recipes moving forward and, uh, and making sure that, you know, those customers did get that level of customization that you were talking about? Well, I would say that, I mean, our CEO, she's definitely the, the capstone of our company. Like a lot of the really awesome ideas are coming directly from her. Um, and she really does, you know, inspire the rest of the team to look at things in certain ways. So to some extent, she sort of started the seed, the idea of, of what we could do with, with all of this data once we had it. I guess I spearheaded the internal tool that we're using that 
both, you know, it spans all of our departments. Like almost everyone has access to it. Uh, loosely titled the Dinner Oracle. It's uh, uh, so I guess I spearheaded building like the initial offering, and then just took in a ton of feedback from our culinary team and in their R and D process, and used sort of, sort of treated them like a like an external stakeholder. You know, took a really product based approach to it, and let their needs feed the tools that we were building. And then as we brought in a data science team, we've got a couple data scientists and some data engineers now, they have been putting their own thoughts and, and ideas into this tool and this tool has continued to grow. And as we built out our purchasing team and they had different needs, um, their feedback started to build other little parts of it. And over time together built this really awesome piece of software that essentially powers our whole company. Very interesting. So have you guys ever gotten, you know, it sounds like you're getting pretty innovative and pretty customizable with, with your recipes. Has, you know, the software ever told you to mix two ingredients that maybe somebody wouldn't have thought of prior, but it kind of produced a really awesome meal? Or do you guys not experiment too much with the, uh, the culinary side of things? Uh, we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't, uh, we haven't gotten to a point where uh, we're automatically generating recipes, though that sounds like a really interesting idea that I'm sure we'll approach before too long. Right now, our focus is on generating a menu. So from our database of thousands of SKUs of recipe ideas, I guess is what they are, we use data science and machine learning to put together the best menu for our customers. So it's more about the the interplay between the meals than necessarily creating the meals themselves. The, the R&D team are still generating the meal ideas and using their culinary backgrounds and experience to and, and trends within food in general to come up with the best ideas for our customers. Nice. And so what is the majority of your focus right now? Is it building out those algorithms for customization? Is it is it figuring out what to do with all of that data? Is it building out like your web presence? What does that look like? Um, well, I guess from that sense, it changes every day. Um, I'm basically making sure that we're ruthlessly focused on whatever the company needs most at that moment. So if we're focused on growth and we, you know, we're we're doing a big push to grow the company, then uh, we turn our sights to the sign-up flow and the landing pages and optimizing getting people to subscribe to Gobble. Sometimes. Uh, what we need to do is focus on engagement. So we look to the customer account area and we think, how can we make, how can we give people a better experience changing their dinner kits and, you know, interacting with their Gobble subscription and making sure that they're, they're happy and they understand how everything works. Sometimes we turn it to, uh, we call it, we dub it quality, but that includes a lot of the the R&D stuff, right? We want to be the quality of our dinner kits. We want to improve the quality of our menus. So it kind of it kind of varies pretty drastically, and you know we we break it up into loose, you know, one to two week sort of sprints uh, on any one particular area of the company that we want to focus on, and then we just constantly cycle through all of them. Nice, true startup fashion. Everything changes at the drop of a hat at any at any moment. Um, so, how? What are some of the uh, or what are the programming languages that you rely heaviest on? Or I guess that could change. And if I ask you next week, but I guess right now, what are some of the languages that you're relying heavily on? 
Uh, the biggest one is Ruby. Uh, we're officially a, a Ruby on Rails shop. That's sort of where the Gobble code bases started back in 2010. And we've just been working through and in that ecosystem, which is totally fine by me because I love Ruby and I'm still very as happy with Rails now as you know, back in uh, the mid, late mid-ish 2000s when I started playing around with Rails. Um, then, you know, we layer a little bit of JavaScript on top there. We're not too super front-end focused, so it's not like a ton of JavaScript. Pretty much mostly just Ruby powering the entire company. That's from a programming languages perspective. And how many markets are you guys currently in? So we're currently in seven states on the West Coast. California, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, Utah, Idaho, and Nevada. Okay, and do you guys offer different different meal kits based on each geographical location? Not yet. Right now we're still working with sort of our offering is the offering that we that everyone has access to, but we're definitely exploring how you know, how palates and tastes change across the country. Like whether you're on the West Coast or if you're in the South or if you're on the East Coast, the flavors and the things that you want to eat change so drastically. So uh, a certain, you know, tofu dish with avocado is going to do really well on the West Coast. But, you know, I don't know how that's going to do in Texas. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting problem of optimization to find that perfect balance between limiting the number of offerings that we have just operationally, but matching the most number of pallets that we can across the country. Nice. And so what are the future plans for expansion? You guys are in seven right now, but what's what's next on the horizon? Well, the next the next big goal is uh, national expansion, you know, hit all of the 50 continental states. Loosely, we've got that planned for August. Uh, the ball is rolling and everything seems to be on point for that right now. So that's what we're planning. Man, that's going to be a pretty interesting challenge for for you and your team then. So how are you guys going to have to hire more engineers to be able to take that on, especially if you're talking about the customization of like not offering tofu in Texas? Yeah, I probably wouldn't do too well. So what are your plans in terms of scaling the engineering team? Or do you think you uh, could do it by yourself? <laughs> uh, well, I don't want to doubt myself, but we do, you know, we are actively looking for uh, any great Ruby on Rails engineers to come and join the company. And if there are any listening, please email me because we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any specific numbers on, you know, how many we're going to hire, but we're definitely looking to to not only grow that team, but, you know, we're growing the, the company. I'm pretty sure every department is hiring right now. That's great. And uh, before we wrap up here, tell me a little bit more about your hardcore metal band Titan. And <laughs> are you guys on tour? Do you guys have any shows in the New York area that I could come check out soon? Uh, there's a lot of funny stories around that. Uh, I guess the, the, the first one is I moved from, uh, Toronto to San Francisco. So that was pretty much when the band disbanded, I guess. Uh, wow. So it's your fault. Yeah. It's all my fault. Um, some funny stories is we did play a couple shows in New York in, uh, must've been like 2006, got stopped at the border for trying to cross the border without a visa. Uh, to cross to to try to cross the border to work without a visa, we were playing I think maybe three basement shows at that time, just in I don't know Ithaca uh, at the ABC No Rio in New York City, and we had one more somewhere random in Philadelphia, 
somewhere near there. Yeah, the, the border guards just were not having it. We tried to cross up like Thousand Islands near Kingston, Kingston, Ontario, that is, and come down and it, it was just terrible. It was my 26th birthday, 20, 25th birthday. It was, it was my birthday and I had some friends in New York who they had like planned all these shows for us and we were gonna come down and play and uh, got, yeah, we got stopped at the border. They, you know, made a bunch of threats about you know, arresting us and we had no idea what was going on. We were like, why can't we just come and, you know, play and, you know, we'll be lucky if we get gas money, but I don't know it, uh, that didn't end up working out. We turned our sights to Europe. We ended up doing, you know, I think we did three really successful tours in Europe. We did some, you know, we did some cross Canada tours as well. It was awesome. It was a ton of fun. I ate so much good food and got to meet a lot of people and, we got to make a lot of good music and you know I really enjoyed it and sort of left that life behind to focus my career on engineering and helping build this crazy company called Gobble. <laughs> that's quite the transition. Well, that's great. So how can everybody listening then keep up with yourself, uh, with Gobble and you know, if Titan ever has a reunion tour, how do they stay up to date with that? <laughs> um, so for me, I'm Chris Woodford on Twitter. So I don't tweet totally often, but I'll try. I try. I always try to. It's always a New Year's resolution that gets lost. Email Chris at gobble.com. That's probably the easiest way to to get access to me. And then uh, I occasionally write about Ruby and testing and engineering in general on my blog, which is uh, chriswoodford.posthaven.com. Gobble is at Gobble Inc. on all of the major social networks, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. So you can keep a pulse on that. And music, titanslays.bandcamp.com. That's where you're going to find all of the music. And I've still got a few LPs left if anyone's interested. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Good stuff. All right, well, I'm going to go listen to Titan, and I'm going to go make some food. Unfortunately, it's not from Gobble, but I've got to check you guys out. Hey, thanks so much for joining the show. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was absolute pleasure. 